0: Welcome to What's Brewing Ciswell. What's Brewing Ciswell is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA Past President. As we're in the middle of the first week of spring classes here at my college, Dana, my normal co-host, is too busy keeping students out of my office, let alone the office. So it's just me and you, you and me. Let's get this thing started. And again, welcome everyone to another episode of What's Brewing, Zizfa. Let's start our show off with our first cup. Or this being the after lunch recording, I really should say, the last cup maybe of the day at work? I'm not really sure. Uh, it's just one of those things that uh, didn't have time in the morning to record, so we're going to record afternoon time. Today being a Tuesday recording, we have mostly news today. We don't have a whole lot of news either, but we do have some things that are kind of interesting, financial aid specific, and some things that are just kind of higher education related, but not financial aid specific. So first article comes from Inside Higher Ed which you can sign up for free on their website, I believe. I mean, I'm logged in, I believe, is free right now with an old account. Uh, but it's an article. came out, uh, I'm going to say, late last week. California two-year colleges begin a $150 million OER experiment. What is OER? So this is a zero-textbook cost program. That's what that means. It's like, uh, what's OER exactly stand for? It sure would be nice if they put that in the front of the article, wouldn't it? But it's, op- ah, there it is, Open Educational Resource. So as it says here, the California Community College Chancellor's Office will send funds to the state's 116 community colleges to create more open educational resource classes beginning next month. <clears throat> So Governor made headlines last year when he committed this money to expand our investment in the zero textbook cost program that relies on OER resources. And, you know, the ideal here is, as he says, to deal with the racket that is the textbook industry. Uh, Probably some charged words. Probably many people who've ever gone to college and bought a college textbook would agree with him in general. I I have mixed opinions on this, Uh, probably because me and the governor probably would have Opposite views on a number of things, but it is true. Textbooks seem on the surface to be overtly overpriced and they seem to come out with updates for no given reason. You know, how much does math or history really change that you have to put out a new book every couple of years, thus diminishing your ability to trade that book in when you're done with the class and get some money back at the bookstore. But uh, you know, This is something that, you know, is coming down the stream. A lot of schools are doing it. A lot of states are looking at it. And, again, it's something that they're looking at to help lower costs to students by having these open educational resources available to students, you know, whether they be lower-cost books, uh, public domain items, things like that. You know, it says here, for example, in California, where a three-credit community college course costs only – $138, which is true. Textbook costs are often higher than tuition, community colleges, you know, advocates say here. uh, They say that, of course, more widespread use of OER will ensure students can graduate, particularly since 60% of the 1.8 million community college students are what they call housing insecure, and 50% are food insecure based upon some data they collected just a couple years ago. So, you know, if you're having problems ensuring that you have secure housing, let alone food, probably paying for books is a little tough too. And you can't be waiting weeks into a semester to pick up a most important book for a class. So I'll give you a link to this Insider Higher Ed article. It's got links out to more uh, original documents on this whole program. And it is an interesting long read here about what some other states have done, including the State University of New York. Uh, And their system received $4 million per year in state funding since 2017. So they've been at this a little bit longer than us. So quite an interesting article. Moving over to NASFA, and I know I talked about this probably just a couple shows ago. Don't forget, February is... Financial Aid Awareness Month. Hashtag FinAidFeb. So as a reminder here, um, they are having a contest through NASFA uh, through their website. And submissions are due by Friday, February 25th. And if you go out to their website, NASFA.org slash FinAidFeb, you'll find information you can use. On your campus for students, staff, faculty, infographics, breakdowns of, you know, average awards, things like that. And for example, like Pell purchasing power, that's something we don't talk a whole lot about, but we've talked a little bit about the little increases every year of Pell Grant dollars. Doesn't make up for the fact that it's purchasing power has gone down over the years. What Pell Grant started out as many, many years ago in the 70s or 80s, I can't remember exactly because it was before I went to school, uh, bought you quite a bit more towards the percentage of your tuition that could be covered by Pell Grant. Now when you look at the cost of colleges that have gone up significantly much more than inflation, that purchasing power has gone down. So definitely check out their website, just another plug there for financial aid awareness month and getting your free downloads and infographics from NASFA. Moving to the federal aid, federal student aid front. Two things of very uh, important nature here. Uh, There was a recent dear colleague letter put out just at the end of January, uh, number 22-03. And the subject matter is the 2022-2023 Federal Pell Grant Payment and Disbursement Schedules. In short, what these are, are not-so-fancy graphics, grids, matrices, spreadsheets, whatever you want to call them. And they can do come out in PDF and Excel uh, versions from the federal government. That are what we call payment and disbursement schedules for determining Pell Grant awards for the coming 2022 2023 award year. So these would be awards like after July through the next June of 2023. And what it does is it breaks down how much Pell Grant a student has at full time, three quarter time, half time, and less than half time status based upon what's called their expected family contribution and that we that we've talked about before so again the results of a fafsa tells us for example if a student has an efc expected family contribution of 0 that maximum pell grant award for a school year full time two semesters is $6495 and as that efc goes up which usually means student need goes down and probably parent and Student income might be going up because that EFC is going up too because they conceivably could put more towards the cost of their own education. Once you hit uh, EFC maximum of 5846, you slide off the scale of Pell Grant eligibility. So this is very important because sometimes this gets delayed. And once it gets delayed, that means we can't put it into our computer systems that will automatically calculate when we get electronic results of FAFSAs for students who apply to our college, can't calculate their award offers for the coming year. But by having them now, it helps out all our techie people downtown at my district to put this information into action. And it helps to have them handy in case a student calls or wants to know, I'm eligible according to my award letter for $3,000 $3,000 for the fall if I go full-time? What would I get if I'm half time? And, you know, those kind of questions we can easily answer by looking at these disbursement payment schedules. So I'll give you a link to this so you can find them yourself. Also, coming out from Federal Student Aid, something that I think I've uh, uh, toyed around with uh, when we've talked to Dana on the show about this, is the availability of the federal school code list of participating schools. So these would be colleges and universities that participate in federal Title IV financial aid programs. So it's a long list. The good thing is it is a Excel file that you can bring down and it gives you all the information for the school like their federal school code number, location, etc. So you want to be on the list, of course. Many thousands of schools. And I think I put out there as a challenge at one point, if someone wants to memorize that list, that would be awesome. And then we could do a quiz show on that. Most of the time, you at least know your own school. At least as community colleges, we know our own school. And usually the schools that we feed off a lot of transfers to. But other than that, it's hard to remember all those code numbers. Six digits, remember, per school. Let's check out one more item here from NASFA, and then we got some other things about training that's available. So NASFA's altitude. Again, the thirty thousand foot view on the intersections of economics, public policy, management, and student financial aid, as provided by Justin Drager, president of NASFA. So he put out there a, a couple things here. One I found kind of interesting, and it was interesting because the person he talks about happened to write a book that when I checked my emails today was one of those books that just came out in paperback. So it was in a Barnes and Noble ad to me to remind me that you can get this in paperback now, Dennis. And the first item that he'd been reading over the last week was about putting grit and determination in their place. And he talks about Dr. Tara Westover, author of the best-selling book, educated challenges, the notion that grit and diligence were solely responsible for her incredible story where she rose from her family's rigid religious ideology and isolation to be educated at the world's best universities. Where does she attribute her success? In part, to a $4,000 Pell Grant and a country that funded students like her. So it's an interesting take. So uh, Tara Tara Westover wrote this book. She was on C-SPAN, too. In case you want to look at book TV, you could hear her story of basically coming out of a world where education was not... um, you know, uh, really look to as, you know, a a way of life, you know, to move on. Uh, You know, much, much more rigidity and isolation from the rest of the world. So that that ought to be interesting. But he has some other interesting takes, for example, where people are moving. Sticking with the challenges of enrollment management, United Van Lines Annual Index shows the top inbound and outbound states for moves. And so this is an interesting one here. Because it has the state that I live in right now affected. So the winners are where people are going. Well, the Souths have it. South Dakota, South Carolina, and then West Virginia and Florida. Who's losing people? New Jersey, New York, Illinois, and California. So, you know, how does this matter? You know, changes in demographics, changes in potentially, you know, families that produce Children who go to high school, who go to college, uh, you know, just overall, number of taxpayers, all those things can be affected. So for you to read more about what Justin is reading about, I'll give you a link to his most recent NASFA altitude. We got a couple more articles here, but why don't we play a little music, move our way on to the next part of the show. like that I'm back and what am I back for I'm back for a second cup really more of a fill up if you really think about it I could never finish a whole coffee cup even in the 14 minutes we've had since we've started the show but this will be a short second cup anyway so this is more of an espresso kind of cup size uh, a part of the show Going out to the CASFA website, you can find our February trainings calendar available here and just a wide variety of things that are coming down the line. Now, of course, they had a variety of events that happened in the start of the month. Let's not even worry about looking at those. Let's talk about things that might be coming up just as we talk for the coming week. So let's see what's coming up next week. We have Understanding Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, so this will be a, a talk uh, put on on February 16th at 10 a.m., put on by Inceptia. And the selling line here is pretty straightforward. Higher education is no stranger to DEI programming. That's diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, but with a renewed focus on creating these type of learning spaces, there may be some misconceptions of what DEI is and isn't. So uh, join us for a 30-minute lunch and learning session to better understand how we define DEI and how we may integrate it into work we do for students. So this is an online webinar, and we'll have links to the CASFA page where you can find all the training opportunities that are coming up. Another one that I think I might need, because sometimes, just like all of us, if you're too busy, you lose this, developing focus. Also coming up on February 16th at 11 a.m. brought to you by Citizens Bank. It's all about improving your ability to give attention to the important and reduce distractions with practical adjustments. And sometimes that's all it is, needing a little practical adjustment in your life. There's some other things coming up from NASFA's Blue Icon Advisors. The day after on February 17th in the morning and later, Uh, they have their less. Let's talk sessions on financial aid and retention initiatives, two different ones if you would like to hear in from their Blue Icon advisors. A number of other things coming up, uh, some help from CSAC, our Student Aid Commission people in the following week on GPA reports and matching of students. <clears throat> Interesting one is, uh, you know, how much is your lifestyle really costing This is from ECMC on February 23rd at 10 a.m. And this is an interesting one, I think, uh, for any of us. And really, we should have anyone under the age of 40 listen to this and go to this webinar. Uh, The selling point here is on television and in social media. Consumers are bombarded by product and service offerings designed to make life easier and more affordable. On the surface, these offers of low prices, deep discounts, and easy fixes sound great. But what are the true costs? Remember the old adage, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. We take a look at some of the more popular offerings and explore what the true costs really are. So these are just a a nice little sampling of training opportunities coming up in February. Post it out at the CASFA website at casfa.org slash training. Couple other articles I found one out at the Yahoo News under the conversation. It's all about why community college students quit despite being almost finished. So, an assistant pre- professor of higher education administration and policy at the University of Florida was one of the writers in on this, and it's looking at again, you know, how community colleges like we are, yeah, uh, many of our listeners out there, you know, we're meant to make college more accessible, yet. If you look at our numbers, not too good. Six out of every 10 community colleges don't reap reap the full rewards of higher education because they never earned their degree or certificate. Because again, graduates, part of that reward is making more money. People value that piece of paper. And the fact that you've gone through and completed it. So, some of the things they talk about. You know, why students may have stopped out, even when they're close to finishing. Costs being too high. You know, the affordability of school. Or living expenses being too high. You know, it's just something I see a lot when I see students right there petitions because they have not met their academic standards to keep aid eligibility. Sometimes it's because they're trying to balance life and going to school. And life sometimes has expenses that you just don't expect. Broken cars, medical expenses, pregnancies and babies, new family members, having to move out on your own, all kinds of things. Or just again, paying for it all because you've been used to maybe working full time. and Now you think you're going to slip school into that scenario. Number three on the list was running out of financial aid, but... It's not so much that people fail or or I should say run out of aid. That's kind of rare for community college students who have burned up all their federal and state aid eligibility. More often, though, it's a loss of aid eligibility for things like having a low GPA or maybe not passing enough of their classes. So there's a lot of good stuff here. It's actually like a top 10 or more list here of things to keep in mind. And see that again as we work here at colleges and all, can we help reduce or mitigate some of these type of things? You know, things like number five on our list: students lacking key information. Where academic advising can come in and help a student see, "Hey, you're only just a class or two away from graduation. Why don't we get you through those last couple of classes?" Students sometimes don't know, and the computer won't tell you. The computers, as smart as our computers are, very few schools have smart enough computers that will literally tell you, Hey, you've taken enough units to earn this other degree, even though you're working on what you think is your degree program, or you can get a certificate along the way. It's not as easy as you would think. You'd think it'd be easy to program that stuff. But again, we don't have, you know, Amazon type money running our back house. We have other computer programs. And again, the intricacies of higher education are uh, a little confounding to some people because of the so many the if, this, then that type of circumstances that exist between different academic programs, needs, let alone when you think about transferring from a community college to a university, you'd think it'd be pretty straightforward. Whatever I completed would be taken at the university. Or if they would take it at this university, why well, won't take it at that university? A lot of confusion lies within that area. But on to uh last couple things here. Well, actually the last article. This one also coming from Inside Higher Ed is about state higher ed funding tops 100 billion dollars in the fiscal 2022 year. So this says as a starting line, without accounting for inflation, student state, I'm sorry, without accounting for inflation, state funding levels increased by 6.5% year over year in fiscal year 2022. This uh, jump is due in part to ongoing federal support, recovering state revenues, and reversals of state funding cuts from earlier in the pandemic. So this is the first time that it's topped this kind of amount according to a grapevine report on student or state higher education funding. So this uh, did a little state-by-state comparison, uh, survey data from all 50 states and Washington, D.C., and is a preliminary look at least, At the fiscal year, which began July 1st of 2021. So it says here, even without factoring in federal stimulus money, total state support for higher education increased by 8.5% year over year for this year. So interesting article, a lot of breakdown and more information. So this is probably one of those articles that doesn't help all the multitude of articles you'll read about whenever someone's trying to fight for higher faculty wages, hiring staff, expanding what colleges do when they say funding for higher education continues to go down. It's a little hard to make that case when it is not going down. And okay, maybe not direct funded for some schools because maybe they put it into scholarships and they lower the tuition that way or they add fee waivers for students who never had fee waivers before like many of these, what we call promise programs in the state of California and other states, where in a sense it offers up free tuition, maybe for two years, like in our state, maybe for four years in other states. But there is money out there, and I have a hard time believing that it's really going down. So I'll give you a link to this inside higher ed story, along with other things that we've talked about today in our show notes. But before we get on to the end of the show we need a little bit of music to get us onto that last segment. And like that, you know what we're back for. We're back for, of course, our last sip. And a creaky headphone, which is interesting because when it came to I Dare You To selections today, I spent some time yesterday, many, many hours doing overtime at home, reading student petitions, and it's a little hard to do that with the TV on, so I don't worry about that. Instead, I try to put on some music without words, also known as mostly jazz, maybe some classical music, on a streaming service, pumped through a nice uh, digital-to-analog converter. But my idea, too, is spend money on good headphones. Don't worry about having multitudes or whatever, or fancy-looking ones. But if you're really into music and you like music, buy some nice headphones, Prefer- preferably wired ones. And I did read some article, at, I'm going to say like an Engadget, Gizmodo, tech, tech Dot something, something, whatever, about how even younger people now are moving back towards the wired headphones. Don't exactly know what the gist of the article was trying to get at because it wouldn't have been what I would say to do it for, primarily for high fidelity reasons. Because even the best Bluetooth headphones can't connect properly with any device and offer you full, lossless, high fidelity music. So, you know, I guess think about all the cheap, garbagey headphones that were, first of all, produced during the time I was a kid. And the ones that I've owned over the years. And now I'm sure it has only exacerbated any hearing loss. And again, it never really added anything to the music. I think we felt the need to crank it up. Not so much because it was rock and roll, but because you wanted some bass. And the headphones were kind of garbagey. And the only way to get it was to turn it up. Whereas now, you know, good headphones. um, Again, and there's a lot of them out there. If you ever want personal uh, selections for me, just let me know. Uh, But again, they should also not add anything to the music. They should let the music speak for themselves. And then again, if you really want to play with EQ and all that, that's really up to you. But modern recordings, at least, or remastered recordings, are so much better now than they ever were. So go out, spend good money on headphones. I won't even give you a price floor: $300. Did I say that? I mean, uh, what you want to spend is what you want to spend. But find yourself some good headphones. Test them out. And feel free to keep buying better and better ones over the years. I make no money off of this. In fact, I make no money off this show. That's why I got other things to do, people. So this is all we have time for today. I want to thank you for tuning in today. Remember, you can always find this and all What's Brewing c Podcasts on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing Siswa is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and Dana. This has been episode number 160, recorded Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. Everybody, have a great day. Have a great week.